The brain is a complex organism capable of doing many things at one time. Is this good? Is this bad? Should we focus on one or allow it to do its thing? Do we have any control over it? Does it even matter in the long run? Our brain splitting in half. That's next on this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. I don't remember the name of the planet that introduced us to the Empire Strikes Back, but you know, when Luke was fighting off those wacky things in the snow and the wind was blowing in his face and everything was going sideways and it just, when you watched it, it made you want to cozy up in about five different blankets. That's the way it feels outside today. I mean, the wind is whipping sideways and anything that I shoveled yesterday is being covered up by sideways blowing snow. And it's just remarkably ugly and cold. And that's the way it is. And we can't do anything about it because it's winter and hopefully we're on the downslide. And I know you're getting tired of me complaining about winter, but winter is winter and winter sucks. And so does cold. And I'm tired of it. I've been shoveling since November (laughs) and I want it to end. Hey, it's Matthew here. Thank you for tuning in and downloading another episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast. The podcast designed really with one intent, and that intent is to try, and I don't think I'm always successful, but to try to find ways to be grateful for the things around us. And as we have seen so far in 61 other episodes, that there have been ways, even amongst all of the gunk that we all have to face, there have been ways for us to find opportunities and little slivers of chances to be grateful for the things around us and the things we have. And I know that that is not always easy. And it's certainly hasn't been easy in the face of a pandemic, and it certainly hasn't been easy in the death of one's granddaughter, and it certainly hasn't been easy as the onslaught of Alzheimer's makes its presence known. This is tough, and I realize that, but I think it is our duty to find ways to be grateful for the things that we have. So, that we hold in even higher esteem the opportunities and the things that we are afforded. So that is the purpose of this podcast. And hopefully you in your own daily lives have been able to find the small little rays of hope. I know that on the horizon, one small little ray of hope is the fact that pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training. Now I have to admit Due to COVID, I had a little bit of a fall off with baseball. And anybody who knows me knows that out of all the sports, baseball is my favorite sport. It's always been my favorite sport, even as a kid. And I enjoyed all the three major sports. We didn't grow up with hockey, so I can't really include it, although I like hockey and I admire hockey. But out of those three major sports that I was afforded the opportunity to play and participate in as a child, baseball always appealed to me. And 
I can't put my finger on it exactly. I want to address it sometime around opening day in a podcast. The reasons why I'm grateful for baseball and why even if you don't like baseball, there are some things within the game and within the construct of the game and within the history and the pageantry of the game that you can find gratitude in. But I do have to admit falling off a little bit. Maybe it was the shortened season. Maybe it was just the pandemic in general. There was something, it, did, it seemed otherworldly. It seemed unreal to me. Like, it didn't count. And I know that it did count. So, I'm still trying to wrap my head around baseball a little bit. And the fact that it's right around the corner, hard to believe, with snow blowing sideways... But they're out there in Arizona in almost 80-degree weather getting ready. So we have that to look forward to. The other thing is here in a couple of weeks, Donna will have COVID shot number two. So this is big news, as will my parents. I believe my parents got the Pfizer vaccine. And I think the space of time between shot one and shot two is actually shorter for them. So it might even be next week that my parents get their shot. So hopefully the people in my age bracket will hopefully get an opportunity to have the shot as well very soon. That's my hope. What we focus on using our brain is under debate. How we utilize our brainwave activity in terms of decision-making how we allow our brain to influence us in our decision-making process and how that decision-making process affects the way we operate our lives, how much control we have over the brainwave activity that goes on inside of our head. When I was playing at Blaman Field, when I was growing up as a kid, and instead of walking up the steps, to go out of the field when we were done, we would sometimes climb the fence. And one day when I did climb the fence, I got my hand caught on the top of the fence and it ripped open my hand. And so 11 stitches later and sitting in the kitchen after a three hour visit at the ER, my mom said, you know, I don't know what goes through your head sometimes. And ever since then, I've thought about that phrase. Like I've used it as a a way to check myself. So in later years, when I would do something particularly stupid, or I had made a decision about something, and now that I was second-guessing myself, I would think to myself, what was going on in your head when you were thinking that? What was going on in your head when you made that decision? So then I think to myself, what role do we have in this brainwave activity process of ours? It's what made motorcycle riding such an interesting and complex task. And it's why I enjoyed it so much. The fact that you were cruising down a road on a machine underneath you. And all of the world was at your disposal. You were unencumbered. That unencumbered feeling allowed for an almost bliss-like presence 
though you were putting yourself far more in harm's way than if you were surrounded by four pieces of metal on a windshield. So it's almost as if, and I would explain it to people who have never been on a motorcycle, my brain almost seemed like it was split in half. And if someone were looking at me, they would say, what is he thinking about while he's riding on this motorcycle? And the answer to that is a lot of things. Some people who are on a motorcycle, like my friend Dan, they prefer to ride curvy roads. They prefer to ride roads that are challenging and that gives them almost like a video game experience. And I was always sort of in the minority. I really wanted to use riding as a sense of relaxation. And when you're going around hairpin turns, hairpin S-turns, one after another, there's nothing really, to me, very relaxing about that. My brain is acting like a supercomputer, and it's trying to adjust and judge for all of the variances that could occur, road condition, someone going past me at a high rate of speed, wind velocity, temperature, whether the conditions are dry or wet. There's just so many different things going on. And for me, I felt like I had enough going on inside my head that I didn't really want the extra video game experience. So for me, I tried to make it as relaxing an experience as possible. And yet, at the same time, I knew that my brain was split in half, that I was really thinking two different things, that I was not necessarily thinking about the euphoria that I was feeling, but I was cognizant of it. And at the same time, I was also cognizant of the red pickup truck that was pulling off the side of the road, watching its wheels move, knowing that once the wheels stopped moving, I knew that he was stopping and he wasn't going to pull out in front of me because I had nothing to protect me. That experience taught me that I had more experience over my brainwave activity than I thought that I did and that I really had to make a conscious effort to not just settle back and think about a bunch of things that happened during the week, similar to the way I would be operating a motor vehicle, but more being aware, super aware, hyper aware of all of the things around me. So my brain essentially split in half. We've been thinking about the brain a lot lately since January 2nd of 2019 because that was the day that our world was changed forever because all of our focus is now on Donna's brain. Donna's brain makes me wonder if my brain will ever be split in half on a motorcycle ever again. Will I ride again? Will I ever put myself in the position? Will I want to take that risk to feel that bliss, to feel that euphoria, to feel that challenging split brain activity? Feeling the rumble underneath and the sound and the sound of an engine. Can I risk that? Do I want to risk that? 
sometimes when we're driving in the car, and this disease does have a tendency to make the person who has it a little more inward and a little more silent. And I wonder what's going on in her brain. I wonder how her brain is reacting to the stimuli around her. Is her brain split in half? Is it doing somersaults? Is her brain processing all of these things the way my brain is processing all these things? And while I'm interested in the science part of it, I'm more interested in the day-to-day reactions to it. What part of the human experience allows her to enjoy the things that she enjoys without thinking about what the future might hold? And we always say what the future might hold because we never know what advances are going to be made down the road. It's easy to read about the horror stories, but all of us hold hope for future advances. And so when she's watching television or staring out the window while we're driving, I look at her and I think, in what fashion are the different sections of her brain operating? How are they processing? And as a caregiver, I wonder what part of this processing can I take away from her so that she can more easily focus on the things that matter during this journey. Sometimes I look back on my rides through Amish country and I think back to what I was thinking and I think that seemed relatively easy to the things that I think now. Now that I think back on riding, it seems like it took a lot of effort. It seems like it takes a lot of effort to be so concentrated while you're doing it, to make sure that you have analyzed everything in front of you, the road conditions, the weather, the wind, who's pulling out from a side road, who might swerve into your lane, slowing down to make a turn. Are there rocks in that turn? Do I need to make sure that I'm not leaned over too far for fear that I might slip on those little pebbles that you never think about while you're driving a car? But I wonder, as we surpass two years of this diagnosis, if it might be more advantageous not to think about allowing our brain to split in half, not allowing our brain to partition. And just to go with the flow, is it that important or is it that critical or is it that crucial? I was sharing this with one of the counselors at the Alzheimer's Association who I talk to every couple of months just to check in and to find out whether everything that I'm doing is right because I don't know what the hell I'm doing half the time. And I'm always assured that I'm doing all the right stuff and you're doing great. And sometimes it just seems like I am riding around on a merry-go-round and the merry-go-round is never going to stop. And I can't 
step off of the horse to make it stop and it just keeps going and it just keeps going and I never know what I'm doing correctly. And it was mentioned to me in this last conversation that due to the fact that some of the decline that has occurred when my brain splits in half and I think about what used to be and I think about what is and then I think about what will be that I may be going through a mourning process and don't even know it. And as she said, most people live, they experience something, and then they mourn. But for people who are caregivers, they're doing all of those things at the same time. And so it requires an extra level of strength. And I sometimes wonder whether I have the strength. But then, when we're sitting there watching television and I turn to her and I look at the expressions on her face and I think about all the things that she's thinking about inside of that beautiful brain. And I say to myself, it would be so easy to give up. And I know that she would never think of giving up and she hasn't given up. In fact, she's gotten stronger. She's becoming more determined, and I see it. And even though she may not admit it, it's true. And I'm grateful for that strength. I'm grateful for her willingness to meet with people every six months, knowing that they may tell her that she's declining even more. I'm grateful that she's allowed me to film her and to chart her journey and to show friends and family, how she's doing throughout this process. I'm very grateful for the strength that she shows. And when I get down and I think about doing something awful to myself, or I feel like I don't have the strength to do the things that I need to do in order to be the best caregiver, that strength really gives me strength. And so my brain doesn't split in half. And I'm reminded of a ride that I took when I had the Triumph Bonneville, and I was in a very nondescript two-lane road. Nothing challenging. Nothing that anybody who enjoys the twisties or the tale of the dragon would write home about. It was a very nondescript road, a grid-like road, north of Youngstown. But everything just seemed right. There wasn't hardly any traffic surrounding me. It wasn't particularly hot. It wasn't particularly windy. And I had some music on and some headphones, and I was listening to... It might have just been some contemporary jazz, something very light. And it just seemed like every single thing in that moment of that day on that bike was completely the way that it should be. And for a couple of seconds, my brain just shut off. It just stopped operating. And it just felt like that's where I needed to be at that time. After several seconds, I went back to 
having my brain split in half and do all the things that I normally do when I was on a bike. But it's almost like I just let go. I stopped thinking. And it's almost like my brain wasn't a part of the action. And I felt like I was operating almost by intuition. And almost like a sense of tranquility came over me for those couple of seconds. And I was very grateful for that day. I thought about it when I was at home later in the evening and I had taken some pictures when I had stopped occasionally and I was looking through those pictures. And I thought about that time almost like a Satori experience while I was on that bike. I wish that for her. I wish a lot of those experiences for her. I don't want to quiz her about what's going on in her brain. I just want her to enjoy the moment and be grateful for the moment. And I want her to have her own tranquil, euphoric experience, even if it's not on a bike. And I want her to have lots of them. And I want all of you to have lots of them. At least one. Because there's absolutely nothing like it when the pieces parts of your brain all come together and the pieces parts are no more. It's really quite luxurious and I'm really grateful for it. Lastly, I'm also grateful for Amy Montaigne, and I'm fairly sure that Amy Montaigne doesn't listen to this podcast. But if she did, she would hear me say how grateful I was that she sent me a message out of the blue. A person who, during my time in Pittsburgh at the radio station, I haven't really kept in contact with all that much. It's been 20 years. We follow each other on Facebook. We've occasionally said hello. But she did something that I need to do more of. And she shared something that someone said about my work. And it gave me a sense of gratitude that I hadn't felt in quite some time. And as some of you know, I've had some issues in the past with where my body of work sits. And it was just a small quip that came from somebody else who was listening to something that I created 20 years ago. And it made mention of it and said how much they enjoyed it. And she made mention of it to me. And I told her that I really, really needed that. I really needed that kind of affirmation. And I felt a little guilty afterwards that I admitted that I needed that kind of affirmation about my work. But it's true, and I feel like I can admit it on this podcast, and I certainly wanted her to know that that small note that she sent really made my day, and I'm really grateful for it. So I guess we should perform the clinical scientific things about what we think and what our brains do and how it affects our decisions. But in the end, I would imagine that we're all fairly helpless. 
and that maybe being helpless about it is a good thing. And that amongst trying to control the way we think and in turn control the way we feel about the way we think, we should just let some bliss happen. The splitting apart happens and let all the pieces come back. You can subscribe to the Gratitude Journal podcast on all of the major platforms. And I'm hoping at some point this year to start to create a video version of the Gratitude Journal. I'm still working out some of the details about that. And I would love to have Donna, my partner in crime, making occasional appearances because if you've watched any of the videos that I've created about our journey, you'll see that she's not only extremely photogenic, but she's also extremely funny. <laughs> and people have remarked how well she's taking to being in front of the camera and charting her journey. And if you search YouTube for Donna ALZ, you'll probably come across both of the videos that we've created. Until then, I wish you safety and I wish you warmth. And especially if you're in the North, like we are, that winter is on the downslide and we are moving ever closer towards spring. Donna has her calendar out where she is marking down the days till spring. Sometimes that really doesn't matter because we have some wacky weather in the spring, but at least in your brain, it makes you feel a hell of a lot better. Until then, thanks for downloading and listening to another edition of the Gratitude Journal podcast.